Welcome to the Holistic Parents Podcast. Welcome, welcome. We are here and we are excited. I'm Dr. Stephanie Libs. I'm Brent Keim. Licensed acupuncturist. Licensed acupuncturist. <laughs> Father of four. Father of four. That's right. Um, and we're excited today. We're going to talk about uh, a little bit about birth interventions mm-hmm. and the effects of some of those interventions on breastfeeding mm-hmm. and outcomes of baby and birth and mom and all that kind and of stuff. And maybe talk about a little prevention so yeah. that we hopefully don't need yes. the birth interventions, unless that's, that's what you're right. choosing. Right. This is not a judgment podcast. Right. But we want to give you options. Options and support. Support. Exactly. Amen. I love, do you know January Harsh? I don't think so. She's uh, very, very popular on um, social media. She does seminars all over the world, which I have not been to one, but I would love to go. But she's got this, um, like a meme or something on, on Instagram. And she says, uh, she's something about like, I don't care if you give birth, um, in a hospital or at home or in a field surrounded by butterflies and deer, as long as you have options and support. Yeah. It's like something like that. Um, so I think that's well put. Yeah. Right. So that's really like the gist of what our podcast is about and particularly this episode because um far too often i know you see this in your practice a lot is we have moms who come in after they have a baby and they were bullied or pushed or just not supported and they had birth outcomes that they were not happy with yeah which i think can lead to a huge cascade of um postpartum depression and anxiety and ptsd yeah from births that they did not feel supported in. Yeah. Um, and when, when they yeah. see like friends who got the birth that they wanted, yeah. you know what I'm saying? That makes it even, even it's just sort of more of a slap in the face yeah. and can really sort of take you down that rabbit hole. Yes. Yeah. I definitely felt like that. I My uh, first birth, Aubrey, who's um, just over three now, we were planning a home birth with her and... Um, I did all the birth classes and, uh, and you know, felt very strongly about home birth and really wanted that outcome. And um, after three days of labor at home, uh, I decided to transfer because I um, was so exhausted and hadn't slept and hadn't really eaten. And um, so ended up transferring to the hospital and went to uh, the high-risk hospital in San Diego, which... Um, probably not the best idea but uh we kind of did that for ease and insurance purposes and stuff like that and um thank god our midwife came with us Mm. and my husband was you know fairly educated in natural birth and and things like that um but they were they definitely wanted to push us into a c-section and it took quite a lot of pushback to get the outcome we wanted which wasn't even what i really wanted um and like you said at the end of it you know, knowing that other people had had these natural experiences and home births, um, just it like contributed to even more of yeah. that postpartum depression yeah. and stuff like that. So, and, and you were an educated chiropractor, right? With an educated husband, yeah. with a midwife right. on your team, and you had to fight to get it. So imagine, <laughs> imagine, yeah. say, like a first time, first time parents right. who don't have the support structure there and really aren't, you know, in 
in an educated field. I mean, I, I know Dean and Dean grew up in that family like that. He right. grew up with parents who he sort of, you know, like lived that. Yeah. But I yeah. mean, especially, you know, there's so many people who weren't raised that way, mm-hmm. you know, and then yeah. they, they, they go, they're just, there, there's no chance of pushback. Right. And there's you know? so much fear instilled around birth and, uh, you know, a lot of particularly hospital birth staff, um, will scare parents into yeah. interventions and it's not to say that they're bad practitioners or bad people um it is what their system has trained them though exactly you know i mean the yeah. the, the the view is more more in that situation that birth is an emergency situation yeah. versus that it's like the most sort of you know one of the most natural right. functions exactly. of the body yeah you know yeah a very uh, normal physiological experience yeah. Yeah. rather than a uh, medicalized thing that needs intervention. Yeah. 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 Okay, so we're going to talk a little bit about uh, interventions, particularly epidurals. We have quite a few um, articles on epidurals that we're going to talk about. Which one should we start with? Let's start with, the, let's, let's start with this big one that gave the big review that okay. you brought in. Okay, so this article comes from Evidence-Based Birth which is a great website um, with lots and lots of resources and articles and things like that. So um, talks about some of the concerns of the effect of epidurals on breastfeeding. But it, do, um, it does go in and mention uh, other areas that epidurals can affect right. outcome of Not birth just as breastfeeding. well. Right. You're right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it talks about how uh, the medication in the epidural can cross the placenta and get into the newborn circulation. So sometimes... I hear people say, well, it doesn't cross the placenta. Well, yeah. this might be overkill and my crunchy way about me, but I like to um, act as if everything crosses the placenta. Yeah. That's kind of my yeah. take on things. Um, and it, the article also says these medications have also been found in breast milk. Yeah. So why is that important, well, Dr. Bright? Because you're going to be feeding that baby. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, and that's, you know, they're pretty heavy duty medications to be, um, given to the baby as well. I remember actually in my undergrad, um, I had a class and, um, we had a surrogate mother come in and, and talk to us and, and somehow we watched a video with two babies being born, one naturally and one, uh, after getting an epidural and, um, it showed the baby who was born naturally without an epidural, was really alert, did the breast crawl, mm-hmm. breastfed uh, uh, fairly easily. Um, and the one that got the epidural was really lethargic, mm-hmm. couldn't move quite as much, um, almost kind of looked like a little drunk baby. Yeah. You know? Well, the anesthesia, those are strong yeah. drugs. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And, the, and, and it, it does cross into their system. Yeah. I mean, they're... <clears throat> Again, with this, I mean, there's there there are times for that, but yes. you know, just understanding what the effect can be coming out yeah. of it. Yeah, know. there are definitely times for it, and I I'm the more I do this work of working with pregnant moms and moms right after they have babies and stuff, the more I have the mindset that I think it's so important to have a birth where you feel supported, no matter what, no matter what. you get in the birth, yeah. right? No matter if you have an epidural or a C-section mm-hmm. or you birth in a field with um, deers and rainbows and butterflies, mm-hmm. which I would love, but that just was not my <laughs> way of birthing. <laughs> All those birth videos where they're like quietly pushing the baby in the tub. Yeah. I watched so many of those. Yeah. That was not me. 
screaming like an animal. Um, so anyway, my take is that like moms should just be supported as much mm-hmm. as possible, whatever they do. Yeah. But I do think it's important to be educated on what these interventions are going to do, yeah. what epidurals can do, things like that. And personally, um, the last thing I wanted was an epidural, but I got one, my first birth. Mm-hmm. And not only do I think it affected um, my birth outcome, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. I had a massive tear, and of course, because I couldn't feel what I was pushing. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, um, I think it can just have a huge effect on breastfeeding, and that can be painful, and, and there's so much that we can we can go into. So, um, yeah. Let's keep talking about let's this article because that because that, that, that article that article yeah. actually almost every single thing that you just talked about right right it right so it it's in. all in, it's all in here we're clearly on the right track we're here. on the right track um, okay so it's got a whole bunch of topics um, in here on how the epidurals can affect breastfeeding um, and just uh, birth outcomes in general so yeah. um, the medications in the epidural can lead to the mother developing a fever during labor yeah. Which has been shown in other studies as well that it's common right. to see uh, an, an intrapartum fever with right. uh, with mom. And of course, if you have a fever, they're going to give you IV antibiotics mm-hmm. most likely. Yeah. Um, that's going to affect your microbiome. Yeah. We know that affects your gut health and your yeah. immune system, things like that. May lead to treating the baby um, mm-hmm. for sepsis right. in those situations right. as well. Yeah. Um, the medications can potentially influence the mother's hormones, which can impact breastfeeding. Mm-hmm. Uh, their emotional outcomes, things like that, which I know isn't uh, Pitocin linked to postpartum depression as well. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I think there's a link with that. Uh, don't quote me on that. We'll maybe do that in another episode. Yeah. Um, but if you have an epidural, that's going to relax your body. Mm-hmm. It's going to relax the muscles. The uterus is a muscle. Mm-hmm. So it's not going to contract as efficiently as it should. So you're going to need an epidural to boost those contractions. Yeah. And it just leads to this downward spiral of your body not going through the birth process as it's naturally capable of doing, potentially. Mm-hmm. Um, there are, with epidurals, higher rates of vacuum and forceps delivery, right? So Again, I think that comes from not being able to push effectively. Right. Yes, not being able to push effectively. Um, so one thing I'd like to tell moms, if they are going to get an epidural, try and do the lowest amount possible. Mm-hmm. Try and do the lowest amount where you can still feel your legs, mm-hmm. potentially support your weight. Mm-hmm. Cause I will say even at the high risk hospital where they, um, you know, were really pushing us towards a C-section. We still ended up with a vaginal delivery on my hands and knees, mm-hmm. which apparently from what I've heard does not happen there often. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. Probably not. Um, and, uh, but it's because I didn't push that button to get more of the medication. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, tried to keep that as minimal as possible so that I could still move around. Mm -hmm. So, um, that's not always in your control because depending on the anesthesiologist and how they actually puncture, um, the spine, things like that, uh, you know, sometimes they'll get one side more than another, which is, let's talk about that for a second. Like a big, huge fat needle going into your spine. Big needle. That's a little, yeah. It's a little scary. Yeah. Especially as a chiropractor, like the spine is kind of a jam. Yeah. And like, whoa. Yeah. It's a huge needle going into a very delicate space. Yeah. Um. I, co- I commonly yeah. see moms who've had epidurals, and they 
it kind of becomes like that type of injury that like when the weather changes, you know, and those yes. pressure changes that they'll feel pain yes. in that one spot, which yes. lets you know that there was a, a fairly significant amount yeah. of trauma just yes. to, to that one location like that. If that's they're getting exactly, that kind of response. Yes, that's exactly what I had. So my injection site was painful for like six months. Mm. And anytime I would extend a little bit or jump or move in certain directions or it got cold outside, it was really sore and it mm. felt like a really deep bruise and it took like six months for it to go away yeah and it helped with getting adjusted and some cranial sacral work yeah um yeah i was gonna say i mean because some of yeah. the people that i've met it's been five oh. ten years since they yeah. they had their their epidural and, and they painful. still have the pain yeah especially like you know like weather changes it's yeah. sort of that type of, of trauma in there yeah yeah it's pretty wild so um Okay, so higher rates of vacuum of forceps delivery, um, which can lead to needing some repair of the perineum if there is some tearing, um, which I will say with my two births, you know, one in the hospital, one at home, um, the obstetrician who stitched me up the first time was horrific. Mm. It was a hack job, like bunching tissue that was so painful, and it was not... <clears throat> fun and it was a horrible recovery my second time at home i tore again but in the same place because mm -hmm. i think the scar tissue was so uh just so gnarly mm -hmm. um so tore again which is kind of funny as soon as i had him i was you know we were back in bed and i was all excited and like on this oxytocin high and i was like that was great how long did i push for only 10 minutes wow i didn't tear i don't think i tore did i tear and they were like yeah, <laughs> you tore. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. But they took like an hour to stitch me up, and it was like the recovery was just so much better. So midwives are just magical when it comes to re repair, I yeah. think. Yeah. Um, so, but because of that repair and the time that that could, that could uh, need to be done, it's going to delay that skin-to-skin. -skin. Breastfeeding yeah. can be delayed. And we know how critical that first hour is after birth yeah. for baby just to be with mom and dad yeah. um, or whoever the caregivers are. Yeah. Um, so S Especially in a hospital situation. Especially in a hospital. Oftentimes they're going to separate, but, uh, yeah. you know, sometimes in the home births, then even yeah. if they're doing the repair, then right. you can still have baby with you and on you. Yeah. Which for when, when we were at home, um, when I was getting stitched up for that hour or so, um, Dean was able to do skin to skin mm -hmm. for that entire hour. And, mm -hmm. you know, it was such a beautiful bonding moment for them. So, yeah. so if you do have to go that route, um, it's good to at least have, have, uh, the partner get some, some baby time. Um, so let's talk a little bit about IV fluids, uh, that go along with the epidural yeah. usually, <clears throat> right? Mom's going to get an IV. Yeah. And, th and those will cross over into baby as well, yes. usually leading to a bit of edema in, uh -huh. in, uh, in mama postpartum and edema, some edema in the baby as well. Yes. Yeah. So that's something I see a ton of because um, those IV fluids are going to kind of plump baby up a little bit mm -hmm. and make them way more than maybe they would without the fluid. Right. So it's, you know, healthcare professionals don't want baby to lose more than, what, 10% of their mm -hmm. body weight. Yeah. But if they have an IV, they might lose 10% yeah. or if more. If it's a smaller baby, especially, right. that's carrying right. a lot of fluid weight. Exactly. And then they, they start peeing and they pee it all out, right. and that weight comes down dramatically. Right. And they're not, you know, putting two and two together that yeah. that some of that weight's coming from the excess, you know, fluid that was put right. in from the IV. Then 
then they're they're going to get alarmed and think the baby isn't right. getting enough n- nutrition from mom. Exactly. So then they're going to suggest formula, yeah. which can delay breastfeeding even more. Yeah. Um, yeah, so the other thing that, that the fluids can do is they can um, cause the breast to swell, so that breast tissue is going to swell and be uncomfortable, and that can make breastfeeding really uncomfortable also because yeah. it's a lot easier yeah. for a newborn to latch onto soft tissue yeah. rather than full, you know, plump tissue that's, yeah. you know, not going to mold it. Postpartum, that can be a heavy moment. So if you got yeah. a mom who's, you know, being told the baby's losing too much weight you're not providing enough nutrition and then mm-hmm. breastfeeding is miserable anyways because of that yeah. then you're you're really setting up a bad situation for mom yes, totally at that point in time. yeah and something i see that i think is so helpful at least here in san diego is when moms work with a lactation consultant yeah so an ibclc international board certified lactation consultant um and typically the lactation consultants who work more independently mm-hmm. tend to be a little more dare I say, skilled than maybe the hospital IBCLCs. No offense. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, that can be a huge support for moms for them to come to their home and yeah. assess their latch and, yeah. you know. It's more, com- you know, I, it's probably a more comfortable situation for moms yeah. too. Moms are just going to respond yeah. better if you can do that type of work from your own home. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so a little bit more about this evidence-based birth article. Um, so they found that mothers who receive, um, high doses of fentanyl, um, the babies had lower neurobehavior behavior scores on average. Um, and these mothers were, uh, more likely to stop breastfeeding at six weeks postpartum. So kind of interesting how this can have more effects than just the birth itself. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah into postpartum into breastfeeding into mm-hmm. uh into the baby and the baby's mm-hmm. uh, ability to function properly yeah postpartum definitely yeah yeah so um and we talked a little bit uh earlier about how um you know the epidural is really there's a whole cascade of events that happen so the epidural is going to slow the body down which can be great to give mom some rest yeah. give her some pain relief so she can keep going oftentimes um, in really long labors yeah that's when mom is like right. the body is exhausted it's out right. of gas yeah <clears throat> that's the time oftentimes you'll see moms especially say um like in your situation where there's the mm-hmm. transport trying to have a home birth trying to do a birth center birth it becomes a transport to the hospital to get the epidural. That allows the body to go into that rest mode, sort right. of refuel up, yeah. which generally doesn't take long at all. And then all of a sudden, boom, ready to go back into labor right. and see progression of labor again. Right. So again, there is a time, right? Right. There's a time for it. There's a purpose for it. Yeah. Yeah. So it can be beneficial, but, um, you know, can also slow things down as well. Yeah. Um, so this next article is from the American Journal of Obstetrics and Gynecology. Brent, you found this one. Is this our next one? Which one are we doing? Show me. This one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's called Unintended Effects of Epidural Analgesia During Labor, a Systematic Review. Yeah. So so these folks looked at, um, um, you know, looking at several different studies that were out there. And as they said, there's sufficient evidence to conclude that epidural is associated with a lower rate of spontaneous vaginal delivery, higher rate of instrumental vaginal delivery. So we're talking like like vacuum extraction mm-hmm. uh, and longer labors, particularly in in um, in first time moms. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's where it's it's most typical to see that that um, 
that action. Women receiving epidural are also more likely to have uh, intrapartum fever and their infants are more likely to be evaluated and treated for suspected sepsis. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, again, it's just more research. And I think most of this was covered in the, in the, the last article as well. Right. But again, we're just trying, that. we're just trying to, you know, to educate people that there is risk. Yes you know, involved, yeah. you know, like yeah. we're, we, we are trying to present that there's, there's a reason to do those mm -hmm. kinds of things, but mm -hmm. there's got to be education along the way, understanding. And if so mm -hmm. if somebody's going into birth, um, feeling I, 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 I just, I think I'm gonna have an epidural, you know, right mm -hmm. away, then, you know, are people being educated to the things that could right. happen? Right. Exactly. Know? Exactly. Cause, uh, yeah, something I think, um, one of my mentors, her name's Jeannie Ohm. She's, since passed, but she, um, I, I learned just about everything about, uh, pregnancy and chiropractic from her. And she talked a lot about the energetics of an epidural as well, about how, you know, you're putting this needle into your spine and then you're numbing yourself from the waist down. And is that potentially numbing yourself of the experience of birth as well? Um, is it disconnecting you from that process? And that's something that I felt a lot after I had um, Aubrey, my first baby, is I felt like I felt disconnected from the process. I, I mean, especially coming from the crunchy world, I felt like a failure because I didn't do it at home. I didn't do it naturally. Um, and I, you know, have since worked through a lot of that. Um, but is there a potential like emotional disconnect for moms, you know, who, um, who don't get the full experience of feeling everything. Um, and some women may not want to feel all yeah. of it and may, yeah. may get through it just fine. I was just going to say that they may fine. not want to, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, if you can find some other ways of coping with the pain, yeah. could that lead to better birth outcomes? And I think the answer or is yes. Or like you said, if you can do, you know, at least do the lowest dose. Right. <clears throat> you know, keep start start keep with that. Keep it moving. low. Yeah. Yeah. Because we know there are plenty of studies, too, that... Um, the more stationary you are during labor, if you're stuck in a bed, if you're mm -hmm. stuck to a monitor, yeah. it's a lot harder for labor to progress. Yeah. Yeah. Midwives, like home birth midwives are oftentimes, yeah. you know, mo moving moms up. This is not a good position. Things aren't yeah. going well here. Move here. Do this. Do that. You know, like yeah. lots, lots of movement, lots of change. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, you know, in, in hospitals, I, I think it's more sort of culturally been based on what's becomes easiest for the team mm -hmm. to, to handle, which is, you know, mom on the back. Yeah. That is such a good point because, um, you know, I always joke with people of like, why do we put women on our backs in labor? Would you ever have a poop on your back? Yeah. No, you can't push it out. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. That's not really going to work. It's not the best position for pushing out a baby on your back where then your sacrum and your hips can't move and open up. So if you can be in positions like all fours or squatting yeah. or in a birth chair or squatting on a bed with like a squat bar. Some yeah. hospitals have that, or even in a tub, yeah. which a lot of hospitals are now becoming a little more progressive and putting tubs in the birth rooms. Yeah. We are seeing those changes. Yeah, so that's great because <clears throat> so I think the moms are demanding it. I, I think I'm just great. I I know at least some of the hospitals here. I know they have tubs, but they won't do like they won't do right. a water they won't deliver birth. Deliver in the tub. Right. So you can labor you can labor tub. in the tub, but they won't let yeah. you deliver in the tub. Yeah. So yeah. I you know is there's maybe more demand moving mm -hmm. forward then you might see maybe some of those change. changes as well right. you know but there are definitely changes yeah. coming we're also seeing you know here and I don't, I don't know about uh you know every place but here in san diego we, we you know we have hospitals that have 
birth centers in in the hospital mm-hmm. now where you know the low risk moms can sort of take that option and there's a little more of that yeah. uh, uh, you know, if you, if you, if you want a little more crunchy, right. but still that safety <laughs> still of the hospital, hospital setting, you know, right. yeah, exactly. In case yeah. there was some sort of an emerging situation that, yeah. that, uh, you know, it gives you that confidence to, to have that. So the options are, are definitely coming. Yes. Which yeah. is great. Yeah. We're getting some, some good change here. Yeah. Um, so these last two articles, um, again, they kind of are, are just backing up more of what we're saying, yeah. but it's good, good to see some peer reviewed journal journaly type of stuff so this one's from the british journal of anesthesia and uh you want to read the key points yeah uh, and it's labor analgesia and obstetric outcomes is the uh is the title of the article but the key points Mm -hmm. uh it says the effects of neuroaxial labor analgesia on the progress of labor and labor outcomes have generated considerable controversy so some people you know some i think some of the some of the questions that people ask and um you know, researchers get torn and lots of arguments about it. And then you start getting arguments and design of uh, a design of the study. But the question I think that people start asking is, is if you get an epidural, are you more likely to wind up with, uh, you know, more intervention like a Mm -hmm. c-section you know lead to the to this type of thing and uh i think that's where where you know studies are trying to answer that question this particular study um this particular study came out and said that effective labor analgesia can um uh, oh no! Wait a second. Where is it? Evidence indicates that uh, that effective labor analgesia does not increase the rate of C-section. So that's that's what they they found in this particular article. Mm-hmm. Um, and there again, there are articles out there that would 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 argue back and forth with that. And we're not mm-hmm. saying one way or another. It's right. just you know I, I think people are trying to answer that answer that question. Yeah. Uh, and this one does say effective labor analgesia can prolong second stage of labor. Uh, might also increase the rate of instrumental vaginal delivery. So again, I mean, these are things that we've mm-hmm. already said. It can, it right. can, is you sort of have that disconnect to where you can't feel the body. Right. Uh, then that's going to slow down your ability to push prolonged labor. Um, and then that may lead to the need for something like a, like a vacuum extraction. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And we know that things like vacuum extraction and forceps um, can really affect one, the shape of the baby's head, mm. um, which can affect their latch because yeah. the bones in the mouth are going to create the shape of the mouth. If they're obstructed by a vacuum or forceps, then it's going to change the shape of the mouth. They can't breastfeed yeah. as easily and as it, they can. It can be traumatic too, leaving certain you know bru- yeah. bruising and soreness, right. which is going to right. you know lead to a um, you know if baby's just uncomfortable. Yeah. It's going to be harder to sort of settle in and nurse exactly. if you're just uncomfortable. Imagine putting a suction cup in your head and yeah. pull in for a while and <laughs> see how you feel. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So this last one. Yeah, this last uh, one's a little bit of a shift because yeah. now we're, we're moving away from epidural and this one's talking more about chemical induction. Yes. And it was a study out of Sweden um, where they were using oxytocin. I know here the typical is to use uh, Pitocin, but here they're using oxytocin. Pitocin, which is a synthetic form of oxytocin yep, exactly. to get labor going. Exactly. Yeah. And this one, um, their findings, they said that there was a significant association between oxytocin use and APGAR scores of less than seven at five minutes. So APGAR scores are 
um, sort of like a rating of how well the baby's doing mm-hmm. postpartum, like right immediately right after birth, right yeah. away. And so it's saying that it, with that use, that there was there was a um, a higher chance that those scores were going to be low. It, the preference would be to have those scores around nine and ten, mm-hmm. is what they're looking for. So they're talking about below seven. So um, yeah. it said that there was an increased need for neonatal intensive care and uh, operative delivery. So they're talking about C-section in this sort of situation. But this one also said that <clears throat> these results were for um, moms whose labor was less than 12 hours. So, you know, mm. I, w- what was that because, was it less than 12 hours because they were using really high amounts of oxytocin? They don't really go into that in the article right. or how they did that. So it yeah. was more of a review article. But Yeah, so it says in deliveries with relatively short duration, less than 12 hours, is significant association was seen between oxytocin use and an adverse outcome. Yeah. So, um, and those APGAR scores, so they, they're typically taken at one minute after birth and five minutes after birth. And it's really, this is quite significant at the five minute mark of these APGAR scores being low, because typically most babies, if, if everything's fine, the APGAR scores will be around, you know, eight, nine, or 10, maybe in the, the um, first minute. And the second score is usually comes up pretty quickly yeah. if it was a lower first score. Yeah. But a low second score at five minutes is significant. Like that baby's probably going to the NICU mm-hmm. and they that can affect, um, you know, that skin to skin time, yeah. the breastfeeding. Yeah. They might get a pacifier in the NICU, which mm-hmm. maybe you don't want to do a pacifier. Or um, they might get some formula if they're, mm-hmm. you know, failure to thrive and, mm-hmm. you know, mom needs a, a uh, surgery right away because of the epidural or something like that. So, um, so it's, it's quite far reaching, all these interventions. So we should talk about, at least from our point of view, because oftentimes, you know, the, the, the work that, that we do, you as a chiropractor, me as an acupuncturist, and we work with so many pregnant moms, is that we're trying to, you know, and again, there, there's no judgment here. We want to support anybody on whatever they do. Some people, you know, choose as soon as they get pregnant, they know that I'm just going to have a C-section. That's what I'm going to do, you right. know, and if that's your choice, then that's your choice. But I mean, we definitely, our worlds tend to skew crunchier, you know, we right. tend to get the people who are, <laughs> they want the natural birth, whether yeah. it's going to be at a hospital, a home birth, a, a birth center birth, it doesn't make any difference, but they're fairly determined to have a natural birth, no epidural, mm-hmm. uh, no, um, no, no induction, no, no, induction. no, no, you right. know, C-section nothing like that they yeah. want it as natural as they could possibly have it mm-hmm. and that just that just tends to be our patient population right. you know the people who are seeking out our care but we do a lot of work I know both of us do from our point of view to avoid these sorts of situations yeah. for th- those moms yeah. who that's the route that they want to take right you know I, I want to talk a little bit about about you know the kinds of things that we're doing to mm-hmm. to try to help people avoid those yeah. sorts of things so so so, so tell me a, a, you know like uh, like what is chiropractic doing? What are you focusing on, mm-hmm. you know, throughout the pregnancy to try to avoid these sorts of situations? That's such a good question. So um, first I think we should start with kind of the overall philosophy of chiropractic, yeah. which is very similar to mm-hmm. acupuncture, is that um, from a chiropractic perspective, we believe that the body has an innate intelligence. The body is designed beautifully to heal and function on its own and birth is included in that in that um we feel it's a natural process that given everything is supported and lined up and connected things should function properly right anatomy and physiology go together so 
anatomically speaking, if your spine is in alignment, your nervous system is going to be functioning better. So your brain is going to talk to all your organs better. Your uterus is an organ. Mm -hmm. If your pelvis, if your lower back, even areas in your upper neck, if they're out of alignment, there is no way your brain can communicate back and forth properly. It's going to affect your hormone levels, the nervous system. Um, it's all connected. So when we take care of moms through pregnancy, um, we help to keep their body balanced. We use a specific technique called the Webster technique. Um, and it's not a treatment for pregnancy or breech positioning or anything like that, but it's just a method of aligning the body so that the body can do its thing hmm. as best as it can. Is it, how is it different from typical chiropractic? That's a good question. I mean, is, so, there, is there a different focus or yes. areas that you're focusing more yes. on? Yes. So with Webster, we are focusing on some of the ligaments that support um, the pelvis and the sacrum. Hmm. We also work a lot on the round ligaments on the front. We check the pubic bone because there's a disc in between there, and that can shift out of alignment. And so a lot, a lot of the focus on is on balancing the pelvis. Um, and so it's not just adjusting. There are a couple uh, muscles that we like to release and make sure are balanced from side to side. Because yeah. most of us are not totally symmetrical. We're going to have a slightly more dominant side, even things like driving a car. You use one side more than the other. Um, past injuries, past births. Mm-hmm. Um, things like that can all affect uh, how your pelvis is going to function. Mm-hmm. Um but we do our best to keep everything balanced as much as we can, which can typically, um, as a result of your body being balanced, you're probably gonna have a more comfortable labor. The baby's probably gonna be in a more comfortable position. Not that we're treating those things, but those are kind of side effects to your body just functioning better, right? With the same philosophy as acupuncture, right? You don't have a pregnancy treatment per Mm -hmm. se, Mm -hmm. but you are balancing the body which the effect of that is a healthier pregnancy. Absolutely. Right? Because how the body does one thing is sort of how it does everything. So, you know, and everything's interconnected. So when we're balancing the whole person, then every aspect of them should get better. The way they digest should get better. The way they sleep should get better. The way they birth should get better. better. Yeah. 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 That's ideal. So, um, what are some things that you think are uh, the best ways to create a better birth um, with less interventions. Weekly acupuncture. We- Weekly yeah. chiropractic. <laughs> Weekly chiropractic. I probably recommend people more to chiropractic than I even do to acupuncture. Um, you know, for, 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 for acupuncture in, in general, if, if, I've, if I've got a mama who's in first trimester, I like to see them once a week. Yeah. Um, just because it's sort of the most delicate time in pregnancy. Usually in second trimester... If everything's good, then come see me maybe once a month. And then come third trimester, we start to sneak those things up. But especially in the last five weeks of, of, uh, of pregnancy, there was a great study that was done in Germany that there was uh, a, a, like a, a treatment that I, I just call it, I, I call it pre-birth acupuncture and that we do this once a week and it's been shown to reduce the amount of time that a mom spends in active labor yeah. so you know the really hardcore part of labor yes. uh it's going to reduce that that amount of time because the body's going to become more efficient um yeah. and then it also in, in that you get a more efficient 
efficient labor, so less chance of things stalling out, less chance of things not progressing, so less of a chance of needing any sort of outside intervention. Yeah. So um, just coming in more regularly in those last five weeks are really where the biggest push is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but again, just keeping the body balanced throughout, you know, I, I, I'll deal a lot. I see a lot of uh, tension that mm-hmm. just overall body tension, you know, that's yeah. happening. Like you were talking about, you got to release, focusing on ligaments, releasing certain muscles, right. that kind of thing. You know, oftentimes see the moms, especially around that pelvic area where there's a lot of pain and discomfort. Mm-hmm. And and I I like, and this is kind of my, my opinion and experience with working with these moms is it's so often, especially I see it very often my first time moms, that, um, you know, the body's releasing that relaxin. So yeah. we're starting to get more mobility because yeah. the ligaments are loosening up. Right. And where there's more mobility, we're losing stability. So mobility exactly. goes up, stability comes down. Vulnerable. And especially the full t- first time moms, like they, they, they get almost like, it's like the body gets terrified of this excess or of this lack of stability yeah. that it sort of sees as, right. you know. And so then all the muscles just go and yep. completely lock down around that area, yes. trying to... Protect it. Trying to protect it, trying yeah. to do the job that the ligaments used to yes. do, you know, of sort yes. of lending that in. So, um, you know, trying to get mom's bodies to really relax because yeah. if you carry that tension into labor, it's it's going to slow you down. So it's going to make things harder. Yeah, exactly. exactly. For your body to open. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's 100% it. Yeah. I think that, that uh, talking about opening just reminds me, too, of some things I think that you can prevent prolonged labor, need for intervention is um, creating your birth team and your birth space. So if a hospital is a place that makes you nervous and you're going to tense up, your cervix is going to do the same thing. If you um, are tense around your mother-in-law and she wants to be at the birth, (laughs) your cervix probably won't like it. (laughs) If you you don't like your mother-in-law, your cervix won't either. Right? That's that's exactly. the lesson that we've just learned here. I think that's I think that's, that's the takeaway. That's it. <laughs> but um, but creating your birth space I think is so important. You know, make sure that whoever you have at the labor is someone you are totally comfortable with. Yeah. Um, if you are in the hospital, know that there are going to be a lot of strangers there. Yeah. Um, so funny. So with my first again, went to the hospital, and I was like a wild animal. I don't even remember if they gave me a gown. If they did, it came off real quick. I was literally on all fours, butt naked, pushing with this great nurse. And she said, I'm sorry, I have to step out for my break. I'll be back in 15 minutes. Here's the nurse who's going to cover. This girl walks in, and we went to high school together. (laughs) Hey. I was like, hey, girl. I didn't even say hi. We, like, did a double take and looked at each other. And I just looked back at the bed, and I just focused, and I was like, I cannot even address this right now. What is happening? Because had I addressed it, my body probably would have closed up. That's a good story. So good, right? I need to track her down and be like, Tara, Tara, if you work at Mary Birch, (laughs) hit me up, girl. Um, (laughs) But uh, anyway, so creating your birth space, have people there that you want to be there. Um, I think sharing with those people, too. Yeah. Like, what, what is your vision of birth? What is right. it that you, how, how do you see this going? How would you like it to see it going? Yes. Because, because it, like, when when the labor's getting crazy, like, mom's not thinking straight. No. You know what I'm saying? The, the, the ability to advocate for yourself. Yes. Like, if, 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 if dad team. doesn't know what's going on or dad's yes. not, you know, good to stand up. Yeah. 
if you've got somebody else on your birth team, whether that be a, a family friend or mm-hmm. or you've got a or doula, doula that you brought in, yeah. you know, someone who can advocate for you yeah. and understands what it is that you want, right. I think that's vitally important. So anybody totally. who's going to be there better be on board exactly. with your vision with what you want. of what you're trying yes. to achieve. Oh my gosh, because I mean, I was in birthland and, you know, they were pushing a C-section and if you haven't had a child yet, it's hard AF. <laughs> <laughs> so they start talking C-section and a little bit, little bit of my mind was like, that sounds like a good idea right now. <laughs> as crunchy as I am, I was like, yeah, I could stop all this right now. Take me in for surgery. Yeah. But luckily my husband and midwife were there and they were able to, you know, speak up when I couldn't. Mm-hmm. So it's so important to have your team there. Hiring a doula, I think is so essential. Yeah. Um, going to birth prep classes that are not hospital prep classes. Yeah. Go to hypnobirthing, um, birthing from within, um, Bradley method, anything that um, is going to empower you and get yeah. you more information yeah. and break the stigma of birth being scary. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and I think you meet a lot of um, in those those classes. Oftentimes the the teachers and the people around there, you're going to meet some very supportive people who've sort of been yeah. through it all. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, and a lot a lot of people they they. They don't have a doula. They haven't even thought about going to a doula, but then they go yeah. to a birth class. They hear more about it. They get educated right. and they decide that they, you know. And meet other families yeah, who are meet probably a, Meet other families, exactly. Yeah. 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 That's great. Yeah, definitely good. I mean, my, yeah. my wife and I, from our first birth class, we've got friends of ours that we met then and still friends 20 plus years That's later. So kind cool. of thing, yeah. so. That's awesome. Yeah. So it's so definitely good. something I would recommend to everyone. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, does that conclude this episode? I think that's it. Okay. We'll, we'll so probably do I've, version like two, three, 20 yeah, million. Right? Yeah. Because there's so much. Yeah. On this top, I've never had a baby. So I, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm out of gas. I'm, I'm out of gas on what I can talk about now, Steph. I'm, I've run out. All right. Okay. Brent, as much as you are the baby whisperer, you're right. You've never had a baby. I've never had a baby. You've been at lots of births of your own That's children, it. I've been to four so. <laughs> I've caught a couple babies. That's fun. Yeah. 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 You caught my, two of your kids. Yeah, my right? my last two kids. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, and you feel like a like that was such a special thing, right? That was a special thing. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So beautiful. Yeah. So beautiful. Yeah. All right. Well, we are out. We are done for this podcast. Bye, everybody. See ya. Disclaimer time. The opinions in this podcast are just that, opinions. They are not meant as medical advice. Our opinions are based on the anecdotal evidence and self-reporting from our patients over our many years in practice and thousands of treatments given. The other part of our opinions stem from the way that we take care of our own children, those closest to us, and of course ourselves. But please keep in mind that we probably skew crunchier than most. But as in all healthcare-related matters, we recommend you work directly with your personal medical professional for your healthcare needs because they are the healthcare providers who know you best.